0: listening to the Midweek Redemption podcast, a resource from Redemption City Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. For more information about our church, please visit our website at redemptiongr.org. Welcome to the Midweek Redemption podcast. Uh, My name is Josh I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption City Church, and sort of the host for this new creation that we're uh, putting out for our church family. The heart behind this podcast is simply to provide some more teaching resources uh, for our church family in this crazy global pandemic season. Uh, I know many of us are probably listening to podcasts throughout the week, and so Pastor Mike and I thought it'd be fun to put out a podcast, uh, sort of a podcast connection point where we, as a church family, can kind of delve into practical topics about how we can live as Jesus followers in our day-to-day lives. On top of robust biblical teaching and calling all of us to delight and submit to God's Word, I believe that the church can uh, and even should be this beautiful place where Jesus followers come together with wrestle with not just how to think or believe rightly, but how to live rightly, practically, as Jesus', is follow- Jesus is disciples in the real world. So some of the topics that we want to dive into as part of the midweek redemption uh, are things like spiritual formation, parenting, marriage, practical ways to do spiritual disciplines, and stuff like that. There's kind of uh, no limit to the topics that we could uh, address as we move forward. Um, and on top of some of those specific topics, uh, we also hope to do uh, interviews with church members just as a uh, added way to kind of get to know people's stories. Uh, And also maybe connect with some city commissioners around Grand Rapids or other folks that are involved in the life of our city as just uh, another connection point for us uh, throughout the week as we seek to be the church together in Grand Rapids. Well, uh, a few years ago, I was pastoring a a church uh, in in Big Rapids, and I was meeting with a woman um, whose anxiety was just wrecking havoc uh, on her life. It was playing out in her marriage, in the life of her kids, and her relationships, uh, with other others in the church and all these different things, and as we started to kind of press into this and ask some questions about it, she's like, "Oh, I've always been anxious. Anxiety is just my thing. I'll always struggle with it." And for whatever reason, at that moment, it kind of like stopped me cold. I was so deeply saddened by that statement, and and it kind of took took my my words away. Like it had me asking all these questions: Is is that the reality for Christians? What what would Jesus say to a statement like that? Is 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 that just how it works? Like we just have our anxiety or our lust or anger for the rest of our lives? And I was also saddened because it, it made me realize that she was expressing the exact reality that, that I grew up in, or at least the the culture that I absorbed as a kid in church. Uh early on I started struggling with pornography and knew it was wrong, but just felt helpless to kick the habit. I tried all kinds of goofy things uh, to fight it, but honestly, I just didn't have much to work with, and I thought this was just kind of like my lot in life. And So for this first series uh, of Midweek Redemption uh, episodes here, we want to look at the question uh, how do we change how do we transform or to say it another way how do we become like Jesus what are the nuts and bolts of the way we change the way that we are sanctified to use another biblical concept uh, transformed into the image of Christ I think and uh, in, in my personal opinion I think one of the greatest weaknesses of the church is that we talk about growth or talk about sanctification or becoming like Jesus but uh, not many of us actually have a plan or an understanding of how that works. We, we talk about making disciples or being a disciple ourselves, but have no clear pathway to do that. Uh, a year or so ago, there was an article in Christianity Today uh, that looked at the difference between a, a typical church small group and Alcoholics Anonymous. And it said that one of the main differences between AA and the church is that AA has, and this is a direct quote from the article a clear theory of personal transformation codified in practices and traditions that are easily accessible to those who would like to change. I just love this quote. Let me read it again. AA has a clear theory of personal transformation codified in practices and traditions that are easily accessible to those who would like to be transformed. That idea of a a theory of personal transformation that's available, that's easily accessible to anyone who who wants it. AA has 12 steps. Uh, the 12 steps, as far as I know, are set. Like they're not negotiable. If you want to join AA and only do like the even ones or only six or something like that. But the other thing about AA is that they don't beat you over the head with them. They don't chase you around. AA is just always there waiting for you with their 12 steps for anyone who wants to be transformed. And of course in AA, most of the power of it comes through the community of AA. The, the fact that you get a sponsor, someone who's further down the road of personal transformation, someone who's gone through the steps of, uh, along their theory of personal transformation, and then you have a small community around you uh, who is all pressing on toward the same goal of personal transformation, of changing and i hope you can see the overlaps between uh aa and the church uh what the church could and maybe even should be and the good news is that it, i think if we unpack scripture we find that there is a, there i think there is a clear way that god has laid out for us to become like jesus we don't just have to slog through life hoping that somehow we just magically get freed of our anxiety or we don't just have to stumble along falling on and off the wagon of sexual purity or losing our temper I think scripture gives us a picture uh, that that is clear that we can become like Jesus, that from one degree of glory to the next, we can become more and more like him, become the kind of person for whom it is more natural, more instinctual to trust God and be anxious. We can become formed into the image of Jesus so that sexual purity is more appealing to us than sexual sin, lusting after people or reading romance novels or whatever. We become the kind of people who, who naturally love our enemies. Has enemy, we have enemy love just flow out of us as we live. So what is the theory of transformation for the church? I'm sure there's more than one, but I just want to propose one to you for your consideration. And today I want to do a general overview, and then we'll spend the next few weeks or months kind of unpacking from Scripture how this theory of trans- transformation works and how it all fits together. I wish you could do a PowerPoint and kind of give you a visual because there is kind of like a, a chart or a graphic that, that shows these all together. But we're a podcast. Maybe I'll try to figure out how to put a link to some graphics in the show notes for those of you who are visual learners. But, but just picture in your mind uh, th- this chart. The working theory of transformation, uh, to become like Jesus, to be sanctified, has three components, and they're all held together by the Holy Spirit. The three components are teaching, practices, and community. So if you're visualizing the picture, picture a triangle, and at the top of the triangle, at the top point, there is teaching. And then the bottom left is practices, and the bottom right of the triangle is community. And then right smack dab in the middle of the triangle is the Holy Spirit. These three elements, teaching, practices, and community, could also be described the story you believe, the habits you form, and the company that you keep. In order to to be transformed, it involves believing a story, knowing God as revealed in Scripture, knowing those teachings, knowing the information, like what is true, what are the facts and the characters and the realities of the story. And and just for a quick thought exercise, consider the type of person you'll become if the story you believe is that you are a rational, autonomous individual who by the luck of the draw evolved out of random chaos— and that your highest calling is to, is to fulfill your own individual self. Being happy, satisfied, avoid, avoiding suffering is your kind of primary objective. You deserve to be happy. How might that story form you as a person and help you make choices uh, based on your relationships and your work and how you relate to sexuality and money and power and other people? Versus considering what, what kind of person might we become if we believe that in the beginning God... A Trinitarian community of love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit overflowed this love into creation with a plan for humans to flourish under his loving fatherly rule and reign. These are very different stories and they dramatically shape the kind of person that we 're transformed into the teaching portion of our of our transformation uh, paradigm or theory includes uh, the Bible, obviously, and sermons, Bible studies, podcasts, seminary classes. Uh, potentially, you know, even good movies or novels or uh, other spiritual reading—all those kinds of things—that basically get information or content or just the the story of God into our brain box. From what I know of our church at Redemption City, uh, we are tracking with this portion of transformation theory. Like, I, I think a lot of us are here because we love doctrine, and Pastor Mike unpacks rich, delicious doctrine every Sunday. But I want to point out that in this theory of transformation. Teaching is only a third of the picture. It's super crucial. It's at the top, but it's not all of it. For real transformation to occur, if we want to see real freedom, real uh, progress in our sanctification to become like Jesus, there has to be more than just information put into our heads. Next in this theory of transformation are practices, or the habits that we form. It's a relatively recent development in church history uh, for the church to be so information-focused. Throughout much of the life of the church, uh, throughout history, church history, Jesus' followers have been marked by specific practices or habits or rhythms that have been proven over time to be helpful to bring about this transformation, to bring about sanctification. These habits are, uh, in, in another word for them, uh, would be spiritual disciplines. Uh, the, the rhythms of our lives, the that, things that we do with our bodies that enable the teaching and the Holy Spirit to do their work. Some of the core disciplines, core practices uh, you see throughout history, the history of God's people are silence and solitude, fasting, Sabbath, scripture meditation, but there's not like a set official list or whatever. It's a, it can be a pretty flexible, creative thing, but they're intentional things that we do that, where we can embody what we say we believe and make ourselves available to the Holy Spirit to do his work. Jesus, when he finished the Sermon on the Mount, he said that the person who hears his teaching and puts it into practice is a wise man, a wise man whose whose house, the, the house of his life, will stand the, the test of time, will stand the storms of life. That means that when he says in that, in that same teaching, in that same Sermon on the Mount, do not worry about your life, we have to consider how do we put that into practice? Like what are the things that I can practically do that... Uh, that creates space for the Spirit to produce the fruit of peace? What are the things that I need to avoid because they increase my anxiety and make it harder to connect with the Holy Spirit? The next part of our theory of transformation is community, or to say it another way, the company that we keep, the people that we spend time with. Humans are by nature social beings. We are formed for relationships like we were designed for that and we are formed by our relationships you cannot become like jesus alone period and neuroscience been providing lots of scientific backup for this ancient biblical truth as it's been looking at things like mimicry neurons and how the brain develops attachments within relationships as we grow up uh, but we'll dive into that in another episode of this podcast but in Jesus' time on earth, you just literally never see him one-on-one with one of his followers. Jesus says that when two or more are gathered, he is there. And that's because in the community of Jesus followers, that is where Jesus' presence exists on the earth now. He calls us, he calls the church his body or the temple where the presence of God, present of God exists on the earth. And so within community, we, we practice the, the one another commands, love one another, pray with one another, sing to one another, encourage one another, and 56 other ones. Uh, and then, you know, we inevitably will sin against each other and have to rehearse the gospel as we repent to one another. And then we rehearse the gospel to ourselves as we forgive one another, as we have been forgiven, as we work together and serve together and celebrate together and hold each other accountable. And then right there in the middle of our paradigm holding it all together, fueling everything is the Holy Spirit. Apart from him, all the other three components are pretty much pointless. And in many ways, the other three things, teaching, community, practices, are just means to the end of being submitted and changed by him, of being filled up by him, as Ephesians 5 says. You can imagine the three components, teaching, practices, community, like a sailboat. And the Holy Spirit is the wind. Like you got to have the boat. You got to get the boat in the water. You got to put the sails up. But the point in doing all of that is so that you're ready to catch the wind and go somewhere when it blows. And that brings me to the last idea I want to look at today, which is simply this. In order to be transformed, you have to do something. You have to work at it. In order to be transformed, you have to do something. If you made it your goal to be the, become the kind of person who could speak Arabic, you'd have to do a lot of stuff differently and essentially take this exact theory of transformation and put it into work. You have to take classes, get teaching about the language and grammar and all that stuff, and then you have to practice, and you have to probably find some people that speak Arabic. Same if you were going to try to become uh, an electrician. You'd have to learn a lot of facts about electricity and how it works, and then start actually practicing by apprenticing in community with other electricians. So the, the question that remains is like, why Why would we think becoming like Jesus would require anything less than learning a language or learning a trade? You know, in Jesus' words, I, I wonder if it might even require us to you know, lay down our lives or to die to ourselves or our old ways, our old habits, the, our old stories that we believe and the old company we keep. I know for us, Reformed gospel center folks, we, we get super itchy whenever we talk about doing stuff. Uh, really, we're really nervous about uh, losing sight of salvation by grace through faith alone, so no one can boast, not by works. Uh, but let's just all take a deep breath for a second, because there I have two kind of phrases that I think keep this tension in place. The first one is, grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. Grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. Grace is opposed to any sense of earning God's favor, good standing, our salvation, our own righteousness. Yes and amen. But I think scripture bears out abundantly clear that grace is not opposed to effort, to putting out effort to follow Jesus, to obey the commands of God's word. When we talk about good works or actively doing stuff, We're not talking about getting God to like us more or earning our salvation. We're talking about uh, working out our salvation. Another way to say it is, without God, we can't, but without us, he won't. Without God, we cannot be transformed into the person of Jesus Christ. Like, I don't think I have to fight anyone on, on that point. And that's why the Holy Spirit is smack in the middle of our theory of transformation. But God, in His manifold wisdom, according to His word, He requires our participation in our own sanctification and transformation. This is all over Scripture, but probably the, it's most clearly seen in Philippians two twelve through thirteen. Paul writes: Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God. works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you see it in there? Obey. Work out your salvation because it's God who works in you. Without God we can't. Without us he won't. The perfect analogy for this, and makes total sense, is farming. The farmer by himself and his own strength can't make anything grow. It's a miracle of nature that out of these little hard seeds come all this lush, extravagant, delicious food. But what can the farmer do? He can cultivate the ground, plant the seeds, water the seeds, keep the weeds out, get rid of pests, do all this stuff so that the fruit will grow, the food will grow. If he never did anything about, and and never did any farming, and just sat around and hoped to get a crop, he would go hungry. I just wonder if some of us are just weary because we see these besetting sins, we see uh, just not a lot of growth uh, because we're kind of sitting around. Just hoping that we'll see the fruit of the spirit grow, so to recap, we're going to spend a few months diving into this theory of transformation. We're going to look at teaching, practices and community and how they're all powered by the the Holy Spirit. Check the show notes if you want to see a simple graphic and some of the summaries of this content and then I invite you to consider the degree to which you want to be transformed, how much you're willing to work towards that end. I really hope that it would be this this invitation uh, to to those of us that are hungry, that are thirsty to see more of the Spirit in our life, more more transformation. We want to be we want to be more like Jesus. I know pretty much all of us feel tapped with work and kids and COVID and the election cycle and everything, but transcending all of that, the question remains: like, do you want to change? Do you? Do you want freedom from your compulsions and besetting sins that that we all have? And if so, how badly? Just like uh, AA holds out the 12 steps and is there meeting in a circle of folding chairs inviting anybody who wants to change uh, to to come, uh, Jesus asks that to us. He says, follow me. Or like he asks the paralyzed man in John chapter 5, do you want to be healed? So I hope that uh, what's your appetite. That's all I got uh, for today. Thank you so much for listening to our very first episode. I hope it was a good teaser for kind of where we're going to go in the near future. And if you have questions or feedback or other topics you'd like for us to explore as we keep going, please uh, send me an email. Uh, my email address is josh.for at redemptiongr.org, f o o r at redemptiongr.org. Dot org. Love you guys. I pray you feel God's fatherly compassion and delight over your life today, and I pray that you feel empowered and lifted up. That that there is a way uh, to change, and that we, a way to make ourselves available uh, to the redeeming work of God's Holy Spirit in our lives.